All right. Good morning, Joy Church. Man, so awesome to see you guys here this morning. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right in here in a second, uh, but this morning is gonna be just a little bit different style than usual. We're gonna cover uh, a lot of scripture, and that's why I want to just dive right on in. There's not gonna be necessarily some uh, lined out points for you to take home today, um, but I believe what what I want to do today. I want to come with a uh, no specific agenda of, of points or actions that you ought to take this next week. But uh, I want to come together and I want to open up the Bible. Um, and I want to open up our hearts to receive from it. And I want to hear the word of God today. Uh, as we look at, at, the, at the word of God, we're going to be talking about grace, faith, rules, and wrath. Uh, and it, it's going to get... Uh, it, it's it's going to get... Uh, fun and it's going to get, uh, it seems like it's going to get a little bit scary, but I, I hope it doesn't. Uh, I hope what, what we see in the picture of the, of the scripture today is the goodness of God and the grace of God uh, and that, that every little piece of him is good. And so we're going to talk about uh, a few things that Paul wants to reveal in the book of Romans. And, and, and he says that the righteousness of God was revealed he says that the wrath of God is being revealed, and he said that the judgment of God will be revealed. And we're, we're going to look at uh, Romans, almost a whole chapter. We're going to look at 1.16 all the way through 2.11. All right, so if you're in your Bibles today, uh, that's where we're going to be. Uh, that's where we're going to be at. But uh, as we open up the Bible this morning, I want to encourage everybody here Right now is a good time to lean in. I don't know what you came with this morning. I don't know if you uh, have a lot going on in your mind. Maybe you're scattered. Maybe you've got family stuff happening. Um, I, don't, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you came this morning because uh, a friend has been begging you to come for a long time and you're finally checking off the box so that they stop asking you. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't know why you think you came here this morning, but I believe that God has a word for you this morning. That as we open up the Bible, which I believe is the, the written and holy word of God, and that he can speak to it, uh, speak through it to us today, I believe that as we open up the Bible, God is going to speak to our hearts. So if we come at it with an open heart, ready to receive what God wants to say today, he's going to speak to us. So right now is a great time. Get on the edge of your seats. Uh, open your ears. Open your hearts. Get ready to hear the word of God, because whether I speak with eloquence or whether I uh, bumble around and make bad jokes... As we open the word of God, he wants to speak to you today. So it's not on me, it's on you. We're going to open the word of God and he's going to talk, all right? We're going to look at Romans. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 16. And it goes like this. It says, this is Paul talking. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So how we're going to do things this morning is uh, we're going to read some scripture, and then we're going to break it down, and then we're going to read some more scripture, and then we're going to break that down, and we're going to make our way through this passage, all right? So we're, we're going to look at this passage right now, and it says right here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So a little bit of reason why, you're like, okay, why is Paul saying he's not ashamed of the gospel? Well, he's speaking to a crowd 
that would have thought that the idea that your God died on the most excruciating, shameful way that they could possibly invent is shameful. So he's speaking to a crowd, like we, we look at this and we've got our post, uh, postmodern like Christian mindset. We've grown up in a Judeo-Christian worldview and we see uh, Jesus dying on the cross as a good thing. No matter whether you've, uh, you believe it or not, you, you look at it and you see like, okay, that's like a positive thing. I understand the background of it. But they would have been dealing with an issue here that says, this is embarrassing. Our gods are big and they throw thunder and they, uh, they're, 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 they don't die. And they, our gods are, what, what is this? And so Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is the news that Jesus was perfect. And though he was God, he died for our sins. He's, he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So we see here that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not just that God has the power to save us, that says that the gospel is what gives him the power to save us, that he couldn't do it. That's not a famous thing to say. God couldn't do it. He's too good. He's too just. He's, righteousness and truth and goodness are too important to him that he couldn't just let go of all the stuff we've done, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna look at the righteousness of God here just for a little bit, and we'll circle back around to it at the end. But what we see is Paul wants to start off by saying the gospel is the power that God has to bring salvation. So the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it because it has the power to bring salvation to everyone, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith from first to last. So what he's saying here is that this gospel, it's the power of God for salvation because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God in us. The gospel actually, but what it's saying is that as we, uh, as we accept the, the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us and we submit our lives to him, it's saying there's a renewing that happens on the inside and the righteousness of God comes into our life, changes who we are now, but also changes our standing with God and that he sees us as righteous, all right? So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith with, by faith from beginning to end. So just saying fully, only from faith. That's it. It's only, that's all, all where it's coming from, that's it. Fully by faith. And he continues on in quotations. It says, just as it is written, which almost always when you see this in the New Testament or even sometimes in the Old Testament of the Bible, what they're saying is they're referencing the Bible before. Because these guys were alive as this stuff was being written, right? So there, but there was stuff that had been written before. So he's saying, as it is written, in other words, the Bible has already said this, and you guys have this, the righteous will live by faith. Righteous will live by faith. Uh, and this is actually re referencing a story in Habakkuk where the Israelites, these are God's chosen people, had chosen not to choose him. They're off doing all sorts of stuff. They're serving other gods. There's idolatry. There's wickedness. There's, uh, they're just not following God. And he comes to Habakkuk, a prophet, a, a man that follows God. And he tells Habakkuk, I am raising up a nation that is going to bring wrath and judgment upon my people. And that they, that they may uh, turn their hearts and follow me. And Habakkuk is having a kind of a, a negotiation with God. This is a prayer conversation that we see between Habakkuk and God. 
uh, where Habakkuk is saying, God, there's, there, some righteous people are here. Not everybody has turned away. What are we, we going to do? You, God, you can't just bring a nation to enslave us. What is going to happen? And, and people, yes, they do talk to God like this. <laughs> There's not just, uh, that, that's, that's not um, sacrilegious, right? So what we see here is in Habakkuk 2, 4, God is talking to Habakkuk. Habakkuk said, don't, don't do this. Don't bring your wrath. And God says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous, I can't say that word. The righteous, I'm going to say it a lot today, so I'm just going to blow pie it every time that I say righteous, and you're just going to deal with it, all right? We're going to be okay together today? All right. The righteous shall live by his faith. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, this phrase, the soul, his soul is puffed up. Uh, it is not upright within him. It was kind of a phrase that they would use, and it, it kind of uh, means the proud man, his soul is not right within him. It says the soul of the proud man is not right in him. It's there's something wrong. And so what, what God is doing here is he's contrasting the proud man and the righteous man. Well, we would think, okay, you, the proud man and the humble man, the proud man or the, the, the righteous and the wicked. No, he's actually contrasting the proud and the righteous in this passage he says, the, the proud man, his soul isn't right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And in the scripture, there's this, a similar phrase to this that happens a lot, and it's because they would be referencing this passage, the righteous shall, shall live by his faith. Um, and we tend to read our own ideas into it where we have the assumption of life. We don't think about death. We're not, uh, we're not most of us are not very near to death. Um, and we're not thinking about it very much. We're definitely not thinking about dying an unnatural death very often. And so we read into this that life is assumed. So we say, oh, what that must mean is that when it says the righteous will live by faith, it's saying that that's the way that they'll live their life. Uh, that's, the, that's the direction that they'll go. They'll like, live according to this faith of Christianity or something along those lines. But what we see is what the scripture that they're referencing here was actually God telling them, no, the righteous, they're going to live because of their faith. And this is a real statement because there's another nation coming to destroy them. It says the righteous will live and he will be righteous because of his faith. So we've got the righteousness of God revealed to us as God's plan for salvation in the Old Testament and the New, through faith in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed to us as God's plan for salvation through faith in the gospel. The next thing we see here in this scripture is, is the wrath of God being revealed. And we're gonna get into it here in a second. We're gonna look at Romans 1, 18 through 23. It starts right here. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 
but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. The wrath of God is being revealed. And we see here, very first off, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who, by their tr- who, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we start with the wrath is being revealed against wickedness, not wicked people. And we see it's godlessness, not godless people. So we're, we're looking at this, and, and what is the wickedness that they're talking about? It says that God is really revealing it against the godlessness and wickedness of people who are ignoring and suppressing the truth about God. Ignoring and suppressing the truth about who God is, what he has done, refusing to worship God. This is the wickedness that he talks about. Suppressing the truth about God. God is obsessed with truth. Uh, We we see this throughout the Bible that uh, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. No one will get to the Father except through me. The very beginning of the Bible, we see this whole thing comes to a screeching halt because of the deception that Adam and Eve get caught up in. There's a a, a twisting of truth, and uh, God is a God of truth and order, and we have an opposing force, a a, a demonic force, an evil force, whatever you want to call it. We've got the devil who is a God, or who is a a, a being of of, uh, lies and disorder. So we see that God, he's obsessed with truth. In fact, he defines right here in the scripture wickedness as ignoring and suppressing the truth about God. And we all have actually this internal battle in our hearts. It's an internal battle in our life between being dead in our sins and alive in Christ. Now being dead, when when the Bible talks about being dead in our sins, what that means is it's not saying that you mess up every once in a while. It's saying that the, the, the life, the fight inside you is gone. The fight inside you is gone. And so when, when, we, look at, uh, when we look at suppressing the truth about God, that's being dead in our sins. When we're saying, I don't even, I, I, I'm gonna suppress the things that I know are wrong and just act like they're not wrong. I'm going to turn the fight away from wickedness and turn it towards God. I'm not going to fight the wickedness in my heart. I'm going to fight God's conviction in my heart. When we, when, we, when we start to suppress the truth about God, that is the wickedness that God says he is revealing his wrath against. Now, before we get too excited about wrath, we'll get around to it. But it says the, the wrath of God is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's a current thing that is happening. And I think that's because it's supposed to be a player in that internal battle that's happening in our hearts. This battle between life and death. You see, our, our faith, it brings resurrection life into our bones because it accepts the righteousness of God so that the Holy Spirit can work within us so we can stand a fighting chance against the wickedness of our hearts. 
And this is kind of one place where Christianity, it deviates from the current world view. And when you make the decision to become a Christian, you start to have to portion off pieces of your current worldview and say, well, this doesn't fit anymore. I have to change it to this way. And, and one of the places that there's a, there's a bifurcation between the current cultural understanding and the, the true biblical understanding is that the biblical understanding, it starts with a wicked state of our hearts. It starts with wickedness within. And the current understanding of the world is that we're generally good. This is the, probably the, the dominant uh, cultural idea, and you'll see this play itself out in things like, if we can just get people to self-actualize, then our problems will go away. If we provide basic needs, if we, uh, let's, first we deal with the safety, then security, then we get food taken care of, then we get sex taken care of, and we, we, surpri- we, we, we uh, provide all of the basic needs that somebody has and they can self-actualize and the wickedness will go away. And in, it's a good theory, but in practice, it's not what we see. We see that as we self-actualize, that self that we actualize is wicked. And we've, we've built all this, we've supplied our needs, we've gotten everything up, and we've built ourselves up only to find that the foundation that it was built on was wickedness. And we see that play out around us, and we see that would be where the world goes. And in Christianity, we start with a wickedness within And the righteousness of God in us is meant to be the fighting force against that. It says that that as we have faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel, that is the righteousness that brings us into the righteousness of God so that we can fight against that wicked desire that we have in our heart. But rejection of the righteousness of God leads to wrath, which brings outward wickedness. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's a, it's a current thing. I oftentimes think of, uh, if, you're, if you've been in the church for a little while, maybe you've heard the wrath of God is, it's hell, right? You, maybe you've heard the wrath of God is this or the wrath of God is that or the wrath of God was the Old Testament God or something like this in the scripture here that says the wrath of God is being revealed and I think we get stuck in a Christianity that's about doing things right now so that we don't have anything bad happen later. It's an eschatological Christianity, big word. Uh, eschatological Christianity, it's meaning it's a Christianity that's about later. It's a Christianity that's about uh, heaven and hell. Little side note, heaven and hell are mentioned together in the Bible like two times. Heaven and earth, that's the contrast that's made in the Bible, actually. But we have a future that's, we have a view of the Bible that's about heaven and hell. It's about later. But it says the wrath of God is being revealed. The Bible puts more weight on bringing eternity to us than preparing for eternity. Don't separate the kingdom of heaven from earth. Jesus prayed, God, would your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told Peter as he built the church, he said, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He said, he said, you are to go and you are to work out into the world and you're to establish the way of God out there. He doesn't say, uh, I'm going to establish my church and heaven is going to be populated. 
He doesn't say, I'm going to establish my church. And man, once you guys get here, it's going to be real good. No, he says, I'm going to establish my church and you're going to go do something with it here and now. But we have an idea that Christianity is God paid my debt so that one day I'm standing before his judgment. He'll let me into heaven. But the righteousness of God and the wrath of God are, for heaven, are, are not for heaven and hell. They're for earth. Earth is not an audition room for heaven. We think that it's like this is a place that God made so that he could put, he, could, he didn't know if people were good or not. He could put them here. And then it would play out and we'd see the good ones and the bad ones. And uh, then he'd split those apart and he'd bring the good ones to heaven with him. And they, they made the audition. They're good. And then uh, the other ones, you just, whatever, throw them in hell. That's kind of our, well, like we have this view of God. We have this view of uh, the Bible. And it's just, it sounds silly when you say it like that, but it's kind of what we think. Earth is not an audition room. It's a place that God created for his rule and his reign and his uh, glory and his worship to be expressed. That there be a place that, that, that there's that more like heaven. God saw heaven and he was like, you know what? This is good. Let's do it again. And we're like, oh, we should get there. But God talks a lot more about bringing heaven to earth than he talks about you getting to heaven. Earth is a place for us to bring his perfect rule, his perfect reign, his perfect glory, and to worship God. When you pay close attention, we're about to see uh, the beauty of wrath play out in two ways. Um, and uh, as we talk about wrath, I just want to take a second and give you a little bit of Bible study tip. Uh, when you read the Bible... Lean into the truth. Lean into every word that it says, even the parts you don't like. The parts that you don't want to share with your friends. Like, God is love, there's grace. You've messed it up, but he's good for you. He's there. It's the parts you want to share. But lean into the parts you don't want to share. Lean into the parts that you're treating like the skeletons in God's closet. There's a, there's a book by Joshua Ryan Butler, and it's called The Skeletons in God's Closet. And he says, we treat God like he's got skeletons in his closet, like he's hiding stuff. You know, there's the good parts of the Bible, and there's the bad parts of the Bible. You tell people where to start reading, like, no, don't start reading here. Maybe start over here. There's good parts, there's bad parts of the Bible. And we treat God like he's got something to hide. Really treating God like we are more righteous than he is. Like, I know the good parts of the Bible, God. Come on. But we treat God like there's skeletons in his closet, but... Here's the thing, when you lean into the truth of the Bible, all those things that you thought were the parts that you don't want to share, they actually, uh, they, they fit in just perfect. Sometimes they're little pieces, sometimes they're big pieces, but they fit in just perfect to this stained glass mosaic that is the beauty of the gospel. And it, if you take them out, it just, it's, it's just not right. And so when you're reading the Bible, lean into the things that make you uncomfortable. Figure out why it's there. Learn it. We're going to look at the wrath of God. This is an uncomfortable topic when you hear the words, but we're going to look at Romans 1, 24 to 32. It starts right here. We've just talked about uh, these people who are, it says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. They uh, claimed to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged glory for immortal images. Uh, they uh, served other gods, all these things, right? 
says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God, God loves truth, for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Even in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations uh, with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. My parents said, amen. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, they also approve of those who practice them. The wrath in this passage is God letting people continue on their trajectory. This is the wrath of God as defined in this passage. Now there's different wrath, wraths of God in different ways, but right here it says the wrath of God is him turning them over to their own desires and letting them continue in their path and letting sin take its course. Now to this, we can have one of two responses as a Christian. We can have the, the response that says, I, I hit my Bible and I said, I'm proud and I'm justified. They're getting what they deserve. It's a dark world and they're, they're doing all the things they ought not to do and I know better and they let them burn. They have gone their own way. Uh, they're, they're, they've gotten what they deserved. God has let them have it. Or we can read the scripture with humility, with the fear of God in our hearts. We can read the scripture open to conviction. And we can pray, Lord, would you hold back your wrath from me? Do not turn me over to my earthly, sinful desires, but lead me on the path to righteousness. What if we committed to finding God in the scripture? The heart of God. So when we look at the heart of God, it never actually plays out as away with this one. The wrath of God actually never plays out on as, well, I gave you your chance, now you're done. We want to find the heart of God in Scripture. And when we look at actually the wrath of God in the Bible throughout Scripture, we see the wrath of God was always to bring his people back to him. We see the wrath of God in the Old Testament in the story of Habakkuk that we looked at. God looks at his people and he says they're far off. I'm going to let, I'm going to let their sin take its course. There's a nation that's coming to judge them. It's going to bring them low. It's going to, to take the proud man and make him humble so that he can return to faith in me, so that, so that I can give him the life that he needs because of his faith, so that, that the wrath of God 
can bring him back. You look at the story of the flood, another skeleton in God's closet. God looks and he sees a world that he is never coming back. He says that they're, they're on the verge of, of, of not being able to ever come back to me. And he, said, and he, and he says, I've got this one person, he lives by faith. I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring my wrath because I know the future of humanity. I know that, that one day there's going to be a room full of, uh, what, 400 people that are going to be chasing after me and try, trying to change the city for me. So I, I, have to bring, I have to bring my people back because he's too good to let it go. What if we found the heart of God in Scripture? God gives us over to our own desires, knowing the darkness and depravity that will come with that. And as an act of mercy, we can see what life, or more accurately death, looks like without him and might be able to call on him for the miracle of salvation. So let me tell you, salvation, the idea that I was once dead in my sins and, and now I'm alive in Christ, it's a miracle. The idea that the darkness of our, of our lives when, when we find ourselves lost and broken and, and, and the wrath of God has, has allowed sin to take its course in our lives and, and, and we're in a place that, that we never thought we would be and somehow the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ begins to work out in our heart. That's a miracle. How is it that, that our lowest point can bring us to our highest point? The miracle of salvation is just that. Now in the Bible, we see Paul, he's getting ready to step into exactly this, this thought because he knows that uh, the people that he's writing this letter to, remember this is a letter written to a church by a man, and he's writing this letter to a church, and he knows that the, these are, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Jewish people in the church, and uh, they have, had tended to have a little bit of an uppity attitude about the people around them. And so he knows who he's writing to. And he knows that given just what he just said, oh, they've been given over to a depraved mind and wickedness and they don't do the right things and, and God has given them over and they, they're like, he knows they're foaming at the mouth. He's like, yep. They're like, yep. And so he knows, he knows what, where they're at and then he turns it back to realizing, oh, who is this letter actually to? It says, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment, uh, where do we go? Uh, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who does such things is based on truth. When you, uh, where are we at? Uh, there we go. When you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. We judge the world because we get impatient with God. We mistake his kindness and patience for ineptitude. Thank God, look at the world. Don't you see it? And we judge the people around us. Like, oh, they're so dark. They're beyond, oh, and then we read this passage and we're like, oh, yeah, the wrath of God. It's, it's, it's against them and they're, they're, they've gone off into their own ways and God has let them go and, and that's just that. We look down on the world around, me, around us thinking they deserve judgment. 
but in this passage, we're actually thinking so little of the patience that God has had with us. That very kindness that held back judgment long enough to bring us to repentance. In this passage, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? That word contempt, it's kataphroneo. Uh, it means to think nothing of or to think little of. It's like, do you think nothing of all the, of the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Do you think nothing of this? What, do you think you were easier to save? We get that. Like, well, I wasn't that bad. I was, like, a little easier to save. Like, I, I didn't have this, like, big story. But I was hellbound. I was destined for eternity away from God. But his kindness and mercy rescued us and has begun to work out God's righteousness inside of us. This next passage says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek good, seek honor and glory and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God will reveal his righteous judgment. Because of the stubbornness and unrepentant hearts, we're storing up wrath for ourselves. It says here, God is just. You keep it clean, you get in. That's, ex- that's exactly what it's saying in this passage. It's saying, you do it all right, you're good to go. God's not unfair. He doesn't require that you take on the, the, uh, a payment that you don't need. He's saying, you don't need it? That's great. You can get into heaven without me. You can have life without me. You do your life just perfect, you will have a great life. That's what he's saying. So you've got it all. But for me, I'm self-seeking. I reject the truth. I follow evil. I judge the world around me. I mess it up. I have impure thoughts. I yell at my kids. I get angry. I deserve the wrath and anger of God. And I know better. It's actually what it's saying here when it says first the Jews and the Gentile. God's saying, yeah, my, my people are the Jewish people they've known for longer. You, get, you do it good, great. You've had to do it for good for longer. But then he's saying, first the Jew, then the Gentile. You mess it up, you're first. He says, you know better, and I know better. God doesn't have favorites. He has standards. He doesn't have favorites. He has justice. He doesn't have favorites, but he gives favor to the humble. God contrasts pride and righteousness. When we humble ourselves, we 
accept the gift of the gospel. This is the reason Paul had to say he wasn't ashamed of it at the beginning. Because they thought it was a shameful thing that your God would die on the cross. You've got to be humble. Accept the gift. And God gives favor to the humble. We're going to look at one more passage. But first, I want, I want to pray. I want to pray together. Um, I'm, I'm going to say the prayer, but as I, as I say it, I want you to agree with me. It just means that, and the same words that I'm saying, promise I won't make them bad. Uh, they're same in your heart. Believe them for you. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to, we're going to finish up here with one more scripture. It says, God, would you let me fear you from the deepest part of my soul? Lord, I'm open to you to convict me of sin. Would your righteousness be at work in and around me? Lord, would you hold back your wrath from me? Do not turn me over to my earthly sinful desires, but lead me on the path to righteousness, the righteousness of God. Amen. It says the righteousness of God was revealed through the gospel. If we jump forward a little bit in Romans 3, verse 22, it says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to, receive, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who live, those who have faith in Jesus. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we can have the righteousness of God working in our hearts to defeat wickedness in ourselves and to spread the goodness, the glory, the truth of God in the world around us. Every week we have people coming in this place that are looking for truth, looking for life, looking for hope, looking for a purpose. And this morning I, I, I feel like God is saying, you found it. You will live by faith. And if this morning you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the salvation from your sins, as access to the righteousness of God, that you may live today in his righteousness and that you may be accepted into his kingdom one day. If you want to make that decision to follow Jesus this morning, uh, I want everybody to close your, hand, close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to create a, a, a moment just between you and God. And if you feel like, man, God is he's tugging on my heart. This is me. Maybe you, your heart's beating. I don't know what it is. But you feel like, man, God, he's calling me to make this decision today. You want to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to encourage you. Just lift your hand real fast. Nobody's seeing. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So cool. We're making a decision. Yeah, that's amazing. So good. So good. Awesome. Yes. I'm going to give just one more second. You want to follow Jesus with your life. 
amazing. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray a prayer together. Uh, and, and everybody will just repeat after me. And it's not a magic prayer. The words don't save you. But if you believe them in your heart and you live them with your life, you will have life by faith. You'll have the righteousness of God in your heart. We're going to pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I've been wicked. And I know better. Jesus, would you help me to follow you all the days of my life? Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my mistakes. Would you help me to be more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.